I'd like to start this morning with selected verses from Job 26 as I read these words and as you look at them on the screen. Take in God's power and his might and his authority and the sovereign nature, nature of our God. The pillars of the heavens quake aghast at his rebuke. By his power, he churned up the sea. By his breath, the skies became fair. And these are the, but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. And who can understand the thunder of his power? We're continuing on in this Advent sermon series, the four names that the prophet Isaiah gives to our Messiah Jesus in the ninth chapter of his book. Last week, Pastor Tim did a great job introducing us to Wonderful Counselor. Today, we'll talk about the second name, Mighty God. Let's come together in prayer. God and our Father, we thank you that you are powerful, but you're also loving. We thank you that out of your glorious riches, you strengthen us through your spirit in our inner being. We pray that you would strengthen our roots and establish our lives firmly in your love. We give you the glory and we ask for your blessing this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. What does it look like to be strong? I don't know, strong. One of the ways you can look strong is you have really big muscles. Who is the strongest person that you know? Um, um, I don't know. The strongest person you know? A superhero? Huh? Your dad? Yeah. Who's the strongest person that you know? Mommy and Daddy. Yeah. What makes them strong? They, they love me and they're fun. What do you think it means when the Bible calls Jesus a mighty God? I think it means in him all things are possible. I think it means like he is very strong within us. He can do anything in the world he wants. Have you ever heard that song, Jesus Loves Us? Little ones do they belong, they are weak but he is strong. You ever heard that one? No. Can You yeah. can sing a little bit. They are weak but he is no. strong. Can you sing it? You don't want to sing it? I can't. You can't? I don't remember it. Oh, okay. Yeah, that last guy, you ever been in that situation where someone asks you something and you know you don't know the answer, but you're like, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh, yeah, I don't know the words. Mighty God. But when we think about God's might, let's think about his power. Let's think about how he's revealed his power to us and what it means for us. And our first stop this morning is that our mighty God has power over creation. That's where we start. Our mighty God has power over creation. God made everything. Everything, just not matter but processes and laws and gravity. He created time. God is the maker of all things. John 1, thing, 1, 3, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. It's pretty clear. When you ask experts uh, to tell you what the most complicated machine ever built by humanity is, they'll say probably the space shuttle, the space shuttle, complex machine, um, 2.5 million parts, about 200 miles of wire, 1,000 valves, 1,400 circuit breakers, on, 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 on. Cost $10.6 billion to make. I tried to do some research to find out how many people worked on it. That's not available. I don't know why. But certainly tens of thousands, certainly hundreds of thousands, if not millions of man hours to build that thing. And that's one big machine. God created everything ex nihilo, out of nothing. That's Latin for out of nothing. He, he made everything before anything was. He spoke it into creation. There was no matter. There was no time. There were no processes. There were no laws of physics. 
he spoke them. Think about the power that that required. Our mighty God is powerful because he created everything. Let's read together these words from Jeremiah 10, uh, 12 through 13. Read this with me. But God made the earth by his power, and he preserves it by his wisdom. With his own understanding, he stretched out the heavens. When he speaks in the thunder, the heavens roar with rain. He causes the clouds to rise over the earth. He sends the lightning with the rain and releases the wind from his storehouses. God is powerful because he made everything. And let's talk about that even more in depth. He maintains everything. He didn't just create the universe and, as some people say, wound it up and just lets it go. He maintains everything. How many people were up early enough this morning to see the sunrise? A couple of us? Stunner. I drive in from the east, so it was in my rearview mirror. I literally got to church and just stood outside and went, wow. That just didn't, didn't happen. God didn't set the orbits of the planets in motion and let them go. It is by his command that it rose that way. He ma- maintains all things. So Jesus is in the boat with the disciples, and a storm comes up, and they're terrified, and they wake him up, and they say, help us, and he calms the storm. Jesus calms a storm. And in Matthew 8, 27, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of, human, uh, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. Ever seen anyone do that? <laughs> Control the weather? Stop raining. Tornado come. No one can do that except our powerful and mighty God. God has power over all creation and he maintains it, yet he knows each and every one of you intimately. And the point here is that he could be so busy running everything, every atom in the entire universe, that he wouldn't have time for us. But he does because of his love for us. And this astounded the psalm writer. He writes in Psalm 8, When I consider your heavens, everything you've made, and all the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in a place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Remarkable that this mighty and powerful God that made everything and maintains everything has time for us and loves us deeply. When you make something, you own it. How many creative people do we, do we have here? Come on, be bold, creative people. Um, George and the team work hard dressing the front of the, the church every, uh, every sermon series, and I'm around a little bit. Circular saws come in and design and screws and glue, and they hustle the stuff in. They, it's beautiful. They, they made this thing. This is a custom-made podium to, to match the... And this is just a little bit of the front of the church. Imagine what it's like to make everything and maintain everything and still have time to love individuals. When you make something, you own it. When you paint a picture, your name goes on it. It's your picture. If you're a technical type and you come up with some kind of technical process or a gadget and have it patented, your name is on the patent. It belongs to you. When husbands and wives make a baby, that baby belongs to them. It's part of their family. And God created us. So he owns us. We're a part of him. And he calls on us to bless each other. And let me uh, make a quick plug for our Advent Generosity um, program. You heard it earlier. Uh, To your right as you leave here today, pick up literature, learn about the four projects that we're supporting today, Project Angel Tree and Night to Shine, Heaven Train, and Joshua and Caleb Leadership Center. Because each one of those individuals that need blessing are children of God too, and he knows about them. Number two today, our mighty God has power over supernatural and spiritual things. So he has power over the natural creation, trees and wind and the earth, but over supernatural things, the spiritual, the mysterious things. Sometimes we love talking about these things. Sometimes they're a mystery. Sometimes they frighten us. Matthew 8, 
Jesus arrives on the other side uh, in the region of Gadernus, and two demon-possessed men come up from the tombs, and they meet him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Now, some distance away, there was a large herd of pigs feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off and went into the town and reported all of this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. The Bible's full of instances when Jesus drives out demons. Now, this makes us shift in our seats a little bit. We're not comfortable with this. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, he did it with a single word. He said, go. What kind of power do you have to have to command demons to do things and they follow you? With authority, with ease, with a single word, instantly, he controls the supernatural. Now, this idea of exorcism, why are we talking about that? It's Advent. The lights are up. We're thinking about hope and a baby and angels and shepherds. Don't talk about demon possession. Did some reading on that this week. In the Lutheran Witness, who was just a Lutheran publication, a Lutheran pastor who was serving on mission on Madagascar, the big uh, island off of Africa. And he said at their worship services every Sunday, almost without exception, were exorcisms. It was a part of their worship services. They would drive out demons because the need was so great there in that area. And it troubled him for a while. Maybe it troubles us too. That's weird. Then he writes this. Exorcism is a work of Christ's mercy, a gift of healing and release where God alone frees the victim from the devil's grasp. It's a gift of healing and release where God alone frees the victim from the devil's grasp. That sounds a lot like Christmas to me, where God alone frees the victim from the devil's grasp. Number three, God is mighty, and he's shown his power over sin and darkness. So we're making a progression here. Creation, the supernatural, and now over sin and darkness. Matthew 9, 1 through 6, Jesus steps into a boat. He crosses over and came to his own town. Some men bring him a paralyzed man laying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son. And what does he say? Your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow's blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know this, what? That the Son of Man, that Jesus has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. The reason the teachers of the law became so upset with Jesus and claimed he was blaspheming is because they understood how the forgiveness of sins work. See, once a year, their high priest, the one single guy who was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, that deep place in the temple, one day a year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, he was allowed to go in there past the thick curtain, and he slaughters a lamb and spreads the blood around, and that's a payment, that's atonement for the sins of Israel. And that, Jesus, is how you forgive sins. You can't just say it. But Jesus comes onto the scene of history and says, I'm the son of God. I am the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. I'm the lamb of God. No longer do you go into the Holy of Holies with a literal lamb, a a woolly sheep, and slaughter it. I myself will be slaughtered 
I will bleed for your transgressions. I will forgive your sins. So the power of God in Christ gives him the authority to forgive sins. And that happened, we know, right? Good Friday, dies on a cross, blood flows. It's a perfect payment of sin for all of humanity so that whoever would receive that simply through faith, you are now a forgiven child of God. God has the power over sin, and it comes through our Savior Jesus and what he did on the cross. And it goes one step farther. Our mighty God has power over death. How comforting is this? How many times have we been to a funeral of a loved one who has died, faith in Christ strong, and we're sorrowful? And yes, it's awful, but we are greatly comforted by the fact that they are with God because God overcomes death and delivers believers into his presence upon their death. And how sorrowful are we at funerals when we had no earthly indication of any faith and how heavy our hearts are when we think about what might be going right now on right now with them. Our mighty God has power over death. Hebrews 2.14, since the children have flesh and blood, in other words, they are humans, he, Jesus, also shared in their humanity, took on flesh and blood. Why? So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Our mighty God is so powerful, he even has power over death. Power over sin and power over death. We talk about this idea of champion. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. To us in 2021, a champion is the guy who wins the football game. That's not the formal um, definition of uh, champion. A champion is a representative, is the one person who goes out and wins for us. We talked about it in terms of David and Goliath a couple weeks ago, that David was the champion of all of Israel. It was one man on one man. If David beats Goliath, the entire nation of Israel is free. They win freedom through his one act. If he loses, they're all enslaved to the Philistines. He wins. We know the story. They are set free. That's our Jesus, the one man whose sacrifice was good for all of us and whose death, which we mourn, we celebrate three days later because through his resurrection, it proves that he has power over even death. How much power does that take? And it goes even deeper. We're going to read from the book of Romans. Oh, Romans is thick. You've got to read it sentence by sentence. It's so good. So we'll read it slowly, but I want to show you what that means for us as baptized Christians. Romans 6. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, all right, so we're baptized. What does that mean? We were baptized into his death. It explains it. We were therefore buried with him. So we're buried with Christ in our baptism into death. Why? So that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father or the power of the Father, we too may live a new life. Excuse me, for if we have been united with him in his death, which we have been by our baptism, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. I know there's a lot there. In your baptism, you died with Christ and were buried, but because you were buried with Christ and he rose again, you too rise again to new life. Matthew 6 goes on. For we know that our old self, sinful nature, was crucified, was put to death so, uh, with him so that the body ruled by sin would be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. It's a lot there. Romans 6, go home and read it again. It's so rich. Uh, number five, there is nothing that our mighty God does not control. He is so powerful that nothing is out of his grasp. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. 
Psalm 22, 28, dominion or rulership or authority belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Our mighty God is a sovereign God, ruler over all things. Abraham Kuyper was the prime minister of the Netherlands, 1901 to 1904. I guess he was a fine politician, who knows? A a much better theologian, a lover of Jesus. And Abraham Kuyper writes this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. (laughs) Everything belongs to him. The farthest atom in the universe, way out there is his, and he controls it. Yet he loves us so much that he is in our heart. There's nothing that... Our mighty God does not control. So what does that mean? I've got four points for us. Uh, Actually, the pastor who wrote this had seven points. I'll use four. I can't find his name. I'd give him credit. I'm supposed to. I couldn't find his name. But the fact that our sovereign God is sovereign means this. First of all, that we ought to stand in awe. God who runs the universe loves us. Stand in awe of the sovereign authority and freedom and the might and power of God. In other words, that means worship. Secondly, it means let us marvel at our own salvation. We ought to marvel at what it took to be saved, that God bought it with sovereign power and that we're not our own. Because he bought us, we now belong to him. Thirdly, we ought to be bold at the throne of grace. We ought to be bold before God in our prayer, knowing that our prayers for the most difficult things can be answered. Nothing is too hard for God. And number four speaks to me because I think our world is upside down, man. COVID has made it crazier than it already was, and people are mad at each other, and a nation divided, and all this stuff. And our powerful and sovereign God means this, that we ought to be thrilled and calm in these days of great upheaval because victory belongs to God, and no purposes that he wills to accomplish can be stopped. Our sovereign God controls everything. Colossians 1.17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So our final stop this morning is this. We benefit from God's power when we (laughs) just get out of the way. (laughs) Let his power flow. Isn't it great how many of us think that we're here because of what we have done? Our wise planning and the efforts we made. And and on on some levels, that's true, right? But it's God that maintained us. We had basketball the other day, and a guy that I haven't seen in 10 years, some horrible affliction physically has come over him, and, and his body is a wreck now. Why didn't that happen to me, God? Why him? I don't know. But it shows me again that I have no authority to say, I'm here. I'm a success because of what I've done. It is simply through God's grace and his mercy. Paul asked God to take something away from him. Three times God said no. And through that, Paul learned this. Paul writes, God said to me that my grace is sufficient for you. And look, my power Paul, my power, God says, is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, my inability to do anything so that Christ's power may rest on me. How many scriptures talk about weak people who God uses to do his will so that God's power can shine through? Moses, a guy who can't speak very well, is asked to be the spokesperson for Israel. Gideon, who is so terrified he's hiding in a hole, is used by God along with three other, 300 other men to fight the enemies of Israel. David, the very smallest of Jesse's 12 boys, a child, is sent out to fight a literal giant, a professional warrior. Peter, a fisherman with a bent toward fear and rebellion, gives the greatest speech of the new church. Paul, who is so lost in his legalism and religiosity that, that it moves him to be a murderer, 
is used by God to be a pastor in the early church. Timothy, who's too young to be of any good, is used by God to be a leader in the early church. And a little baby, born into poverty, is the savior of the world. God's power flows through us when we get out of our way, get out of the way and understand our weakness and our inability. And Lord, just flow through me. Help me to get out of the way. Let God apprehend every square inch of your life and let his power fuel you. The word for me on this point is humility. I'm capable of really nothing. God runs my life and his power flows through me. I've used this story a couple times before. It seems to be effective. I used it at the confirmation retreat last spring. There's a small boy who works hard to make a boat. It's about this big. A lot of effort, a lot of energy. He worked hard on that boat. He, lo- he lo- I mean, he loves that boat. He takes it out and floats it on the pond once in a while, takes it and loves that boat. One day it's out on the pond and it seems to be getting away from him a little bit. Uh-oh. And he runs around the bank and now it really seems to be moving. And what the little boy didn't know is that this pond emptied into a brook. And now that boat that he loves so deeply is being taken away. And oh no. And he chases after it and eventually it's gone. And this boat that he deeply loved is gone forever. And he weeps those big heaving, uh, weeping tears of, of sorrow and brokenness. A few weeks later, he's walking down the street and something catches his eye in the window of the storefront. There, there's his boat for sale in the store. Someone found it and they're trying to sell it. So he goes and he, he tells the guy, that's my boat. Can I have it? And the guy says, no way, that's, that's a $200 boat. And his heart sinks. He doesn't have $200. He doesn't have $5, but he loves that boat. So cutting lawns and doing things around the neighborhood to earn the $200. And eventually that glorious, victorious day comes. And he marches proudly into that store with his $200 and lays it down. And he buys that boat. Now he's on the sidewalk holding the boat, really hugging the boat. And he says, boat. You are twice mine, once because I made you, and once because I bought you. Christians, you are twice God's. By his mighty power, he made you, and by his mighty power, he bought you. He saved you from your sins. Some next steps to think about this week as you think about this. Take some time. Really sit and be quiet. You and God. And consider the power of God's command and his command over all things, that he's running the very farthest atom in the universe, yet is causing your heart to be just now, and just now, and just now. Secondly, rejoice that our God, Jesus, has the power to forgive sins and to conquer the grave. And number three, allow God's power uh, to live in you. So get out of the way. Be a blessing to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are powerful beyond understanding and mighty beyond our ability to grasp it, yet you love us. Lord, when the past won't let go of us, let your power overcome us with love. When the enemy taunts us with lies and surrounds us with darkness, by your power, remind us of Jesus, that he is far more powerful. May our lives be filled with your goodness and power today and every day as we walk in your spirit of love. We pray this all in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, and together we all say, amen.